0: Good afternoon, ladies. Welcome. <coughs> we are studying the parashah. Our <coughs> parashat It's always important to study the Torah not as a merely Jewish history but we must study the Torah as being instructive. But the Torah is to teach us lessons. The word Torah comes from the Hebrew word more. More is a teacher. And the Torah, in all of its pesukim and parashiyot, has relevant teachings and lessons for all generations. Contrary to what some people think, that the Torah is an outdated book. On the contrary, the Torah is very current and very relevant. It is the book of the ages, and therefore, when we study it, we try to learn and glean some ideas that we can apply in the present. In Perashat VaYishlach, there are some very, very important messages that are revealed from the proper study of the text. I'd like to make you aware of them this afternoon. But let's review the story. I know you know it already, but review never hurt anybody. (coughs) Our story picks up when Yaakov Abinu is now going to have the epic confrontation with his brother, Esav. (coughs) This is his brother, that he hasn't seen in 20 years or more, 35 years, <clears throat> and he prepares for the confrontation. The Torah says, and one of the ways he made his preparations was that he prayed, and the pasuk tells us what he said. He says to Hakadosh Baruch "Hatzileni na." miyad achi, miyad esav. Save me from the hands of my brother, from the hands of esav. Now, of course, we see a redundancy over here. Yaakov Avinu, as far as we know, only had one brother. So it would have been suffice for him to say, hatzilin ina miyad achi, or hatzilin ina miyad esav. Why does he have to be so descriptive? Well, that's really the question of the Zohar Kadosh, And the Zohar learns a lesson from over here, that when a person prays, you have to pray in the clearest language. And not to leave anything to the imagination. Now, Even though, of course, God knows what you intend, it doesn't matter. One of the conditions of prayer is that it's a clear, understandable prayer. So therefore, in Hebrew, the word brother can mean relative. Ahi can mean a relative, not necessarily a brother. So if Yaakov Avinu just would have said, Sileni na miyad it could mean uh, somebody else. It could be Lavan. It could be you know, another uh, relative that he's trying to get safety from. So therefore he has to be clear and say, miyad isav So there's no, there's no doubt. Fine, but the Zohar doesn't answer why he has to use the word miyad twice. If that's the case, he could have said, sileni na miyad ahi esav. Miyad ahi, miyad esav sounds like from the hands of my brother, from the hands of esav, sounds like it's two separate prayers. What's the two separate prayers? He wants to be saved from his brother. You want to call him you want to call him esav. It's the same guy. Why did you, call him, you don't have to split it up? Into two. It's an old question. If you go a little further, the pasuk writes that when Esav was making his way, actually a few pasukim prior, the pasuk writes that Esav had four hundred men with him. Yaakov meod. Yaakov Abin was very afraid. Vayetsedlo. <speaking in Hebrew> Vayetsedlo means he was worried. Why the double language? Vaira Vayetzer. Now Rashi handles this redundancy. she says he was afraid that he might get killed. And he was worried that he might have to kill others. He didn't want to kill anybody, Yaakov. That's what Rashi says. I accept it. But maybe we could say another variation. Why the double language? Let's continue the story for a second. <clears throat> So the Pesuf then says that Yaakov Abin is making his way and he gets to the river and he crosses his family over the river, the Yabok river. Yaakov then went back because he forgot something. It wasn't his cell phone, he forgot, he forgot something else, he wouldn't have went back for his cell phone then, he would have thrown in the river. <coughs> And when he gets to the other side of the river, he's all alone, it's in the middle of the night. All of a sudden there's an ish. Now this ish was not a human, the ish was an angel. And not any angel. The number one most uh, nefarious angel. And that is the Samechmem himself. Samechmem, a.k.a. Satan a.k.a. Mal'achamavet a.k.a. Yetzirah which is the most toxic of all the angels met him that night the Samechmem we call him now his name is of course Samechmem and there's an Aleph and a Lamed we don't like to say his complete name every angel in their suffix has the letters Aleph Lamed Michael, Gabriel, Raphael Samechmem and also El and he meets up with him what does he do? And you'd expect the angel wants to help Esau find his whatever he lost. No, that's not what he came for. Pasuk says, What does it mean, He wrestled. V'yavek, that she brings down. When you're wrestling, you raise dust from the ground because everybody's pivoting and your feet are pressing against the ground back and forth. The word for dust in Hebrew is avak. So they, they made it dusty, the place. They brought up dust. They kicked up dust with their, with their, with their struggle. It also could mean, mean melashon What does mean? To hug. Now, they weren't hugging each other. But if you've ever seen a wrestling match, when you have the two wrestlers in the ring, what do they do? <laughs> they lock each other, and it's like they're hugging. So they locked into each other, and each one's trying to push the other one down. So basically it was a wrestling match. The angel came with intentions to kill Yaakov. And the wrestling match didn't last ten rounds. It said it lasted till, till dawn. It's an all-night affair. So he saw that he wasn't able to get him. Yaakov Abin was able to withstand the Samich which is incredible. Ladies, explain the words. i rather you say nothing than say the wrong answer. The way I learned the word Vayigah, liga, nogeya. means to touch. Vayigah be If I'm reading it correctly, Vayigah, he, he reached out and he touched kapyerechho his thigh. But take a kapyerechho and Yaakov displaced his hip. And then the angel says, okay, that said, I had enough, send me back. And he changes his name to Israel. No longer are you called Yaakov. Continue. So Yaakov now wants to name the place. They were very into that in the olden days. Anytime there was an event in the place, they gave the place a name. We can't do that already because all the places have names already. I can't change Brooklyn to, uh, you know... Uh, uh, whatever, whatever it is, you know, ladies' class on Thursday. I can't change the name; the name already is established. But in those days, these places had no names. So, anytime there was a significant event, they could say, "Okay, now we're going to call the place so and so to commemorate the event." So, what did Yaakov call the place where the uh, where the fight was? So, he didn't call it Las Vegas, where it's known for wrestling matches. Yakov Makom Piniel. What does it mean, Piniel? Pene'el, face of God. Or face of an angel. Because el, we told you, is an angel. He says, I saw the angel face to face. And we went toe to toe. And I got saved. So we called the place, rightfully so, Peniel, the face of God. And then the sun rose. Ka'ashir Avar. And now he's leaving the location. Ladies, what's the name of the place? Peniel. Beautiful. But now the Pasuk writes, Ka'ashir Avar at Pinuel. What happened? They changed the name on him. Had it overnight become from Peniel to Pinuel? And now all of a sudden the Pasuk says, And now Yaakov was, Limping, I don't understand, only when he woke up in the morning he was limping, he wasn't limping the night before, listen, maybe you'll tell me, I don't know too much about exercise, maybe I should not know, but the point is, they tell you, you don't feel it, you know, that day, you feel it the next day, you wake up Charlie Horse, okay, maybe if that's what you want to answer the text and tell me it was a Charlie Horse situation, so, that day the adrenaline, he was all excited, next morning he woke up, oh my gosh, I can't walk, fine, If that's the way you want to interpret it, I I accept it uh, hesitantly. So anyway, what happens? Because he was limping, we have a Torah law now. This limping of Yaakov is going to affect your diet. (laughs) That's it, no more sirloin steaks for any of us. You can't eat the gida nasheh. Anytime you slaughter an animal, you have to make sure to take out that that vein called the gidan Nashe, the sciatic. Why? Why can't we eat it? Because he touched it. But I don't understand it. He touched his whole body that night. He was wrestling him with the whole body. He must have got him in his head, then he must have got him on his... Okay, fine. So the part of the body that Yaakov felt some pain... Was there. So, what, to commemorate the pain of Yaakov, so therefore we cannot eat, it it, it begs, it begs understanding. It begs understanding. And finally, if we're going to understand this parasha correctly, I'd like to ask you the question. That was raised by the great rabbi called Rav al Basaman, Hashem Yim Kom Damav. Khan al Vassamin was the star student of the Hafez Hayim. He was uh, a tremendous, tremendous gaon in Torah, in Yerat in Ashkafa. He died, as I said, God should avenge his blood during the Holocaust. He died at the ninth fort in Kavno with his students, and he died out of Kiddush Hashem. It's a whole story, the way he died. He knew that they were going to kill him and his students the next day, and they studied the whole night the laws of Kiddush Hashem, how to give up your life for God. And he told his students, tomorrow we're going to be sacrifices, human sacrifices, and if we do it the correct way, our sacrifice will be an atonement for the Jews in America. And they went, and he said, make sure you have no bad thoughts, and he prepared them, and they, they gave their lives up in the most superhuman, noble way. He was nothing short than an angel, of Rav Elchanan ha- uh, Vassamin. When the Hafiz Chaim was contemplating to move to Israel, so the students came along and said, how could the rabbi leave us? He says, don't worry, I'm leaving you with Rav Elchanan. That means the hafiz Chaim put the trust in this uh, Rav Elchanan Vassamin. Hashem damav. He was a, He had a yeshiva as well, in Baranovich. So he asks a million dollar question. It's in his book called Kobitz Ma'amarim of Ravachal and Master. He says, Vesadikh Lahavin, Be Mashikatu v'yavek Ish Immo, De Haishu has Mechmem, De Lama Himteen, some Mechmem, Ad Yaakov, Shehaya Kevar Huta Mishulash. Why did the submiqmam wait to fight until Yaakov? Why didn't he fight against Avraham and against Yitzhak? Was Yaakov the first Sadiq? He wasn't the first Sadiq. Now I have no doubt the submiqmam has no fond feelings towards Avraham or Yitzhak either. I guarantee you that. So Rav Al says, why delay the, uh, the match? Why did he wait until Yaakov? Why did he go after Abraham? If he's going after the tzaddikim, why did he pass up on two great tzaddikim that came before Yaakov? If you know the answer, I didn't know the answer. This is Rabbi Kharin's question. And he has a whole arichut over here. You're lucky day. I'm going to read you the full answer inside so you don't miss one of his words. That's the questions that we pose today. So I want to begin unraveling this very important Shi'ur. I'm sorry again, for those that came for Kabbalah and for esoteric uh, interpretations and gematria, you're not in luck today. (laughs) Today's your unlucky day. Listen, sometimes I'm in the mood to just explain it rationally where we can learn the moral of the story and sometimes I like to say the Vrita that you, you even you will be able to repeat at the table instead of those difficult ones that sound nice but they elude you when you leave. This one over here, I have no doubt that you're gonna remember it, and you'll be able to repeat it. So to unravel this very important subject, we start with the Rabbi called the Betalevi. The great Rabbi Salavechik from the dynasty of Brisk. So he comes along and he says, "V'yesh tefaresha kavana." He's explaining Miyad achi Miyad esav. He says because the esav ba when esav was coming towards Yaakov Abinu, hevini he understood de lo mehat mishneha ofanin that esav can come in one of two ways. Esav, after all, has two faces. Me and you only have one face. Esav has two faces. Ode Esav yilachim imo. Esav can come as a warrior, as a violent one. Ve yitzel lehorgo. And then Yaakov Abinu has to be concerned that he'll physically kill him. Ode yitratze imo ve yashuv me ito ve yashiv imo b'shalba or Asaf can come with a different, a different, and I call it a different tactic. Where he could come in the name of peace. And he could come in the name of brotherhood. And fraternity. Kishneh Like two brothers. U'mishneh Yaakov. Yaakov was worried. I was going to say equally, but it's not equally. He was worried and concerned about both options, De, Esav If Esav comes as a friendly brother and wants to live in peace and have a relationship, that's called the tova of Esav. The tova of Esav is Ra'a Yaakov. Why? Uh, we'll see now. And it's because of these two faces. Yaakov was afraid. And he was worried. He was afraid that Esab might come to kill him. And he was worried that Isab might come to be his friend. Now, of course, all of us can understand why he's worried against the violent hands of Esav. After all, he doesn't want to get killed. But why should he be concerned if Esav is going to come with brotherly love? So he says, because we know that even the love of Esav has consequences, and those consequences are dire. Rabbi Khanan Wasserman, in this same sefer, makes a shocking statement. He said, who had it better off? The Jews in Germany or the Jews in Russia? The way he says it, the Jews under Hitler or the Jews under Stalin? Now my answer, my knee-jerk answer would be, once you hear the word Hitler, it can't be good. It's got to be the Jews under Stalin had it better than the Jews under Hitler. My <laughs> Rebbe Wasserman says no. <clears throat> the Jews under Hitler, they died. Worse than died, they were. They were tortured. They were. It was. A, it, was it was. It was. It was. a butchering. It was. This, it was the terrible thing. We know that, but it was physical. It was a physical death. And then they went to Olam where Whereas in Stalinist Russia, although they weren't coming after our bodies, they weren't trying to kill us, but they tried to assimilate us, and they took away our God. And therefore they were going after our eternity. So what Elchanan Masaman sees in Hitler one type of Esav, and in Stalin another type of Esav. If I could make it a little clearer. If you remember when Napoleon Bonaparte came into Eastern Europe and took over Europe, there were many of the rabbis that were praying for his demise. Why would you want to pray for his demise? Napoleon Bonaparte came with egalite, liberte, and fraternite. He came to free everybody. He came to emancipate everybody. Everybody's equal. Compare that to where the Jews were living under the czar of Russia, Nikolai, and he was a tyrant. So why would, they, why would they rather to have the tyrant Nikolai instead of the peaceman in Bonaparte? And Rabbi Zalman explained that under Nikolai, our danger is physical. Under Bonaparte, now that we're all equal and we can rub elbows with the Gentiles and will have freedom of access and be part of society, now I'm worried that that friendly face of the fraternity of Bonaparte will cause the Jews to enter a world that doesn't belong to them and lead to assimilation. The smile of Isab is just as dangerous, if not more, than the grimace of Isab. They both have dangers. One is physical, one is spiritual. I remind you what, the czar of Russia wrote a letter to his nephew, Franz Joseph, the premier of Austria, and he said to my dear nephew, why do you afford Jews freedoms and liberties and give them all rights? Wouldn't it be more prudent to treat them like I do in my domain, with a harsh fist and with, uh, uh, you know, with, 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 the, with the sword? Prince Joseph answers to my dear uncle, the Czar of Russia: "You kill your Jews your way; I'll kill them my way." Which means we both have the same end game. We both want to kill them. One is to kill them physically, and one is to kill them spiritually. Both are dangerous. And says the Betalevi, "That's why Yaakov was praying for both situations." Save me from the guy that comes to me as a brother. Miyad Esab. And then save me from the one that comes to me as a tyrant. Save me from the brotherly Esab. Brotherly brother. And save me from the Esab, the bloodthirsty one. And I will bring a proof that, that Ya'qub was worried about the first. He was worried about Ahi more than Esab because that's what he mentioned first. He was more worried about the danger of spiritual assimilation that he was about his physical body. Now, maybe you'll say to yourself, well, Yaakov, it's in your brain. esau doesn't want to be your friend. Why do you think esau wants to uh, uh, assimilate you? He wants to kill you. That's esau that we know. Well, let's go to the story now. And let's see what happened when Esav ultimately comes So the pasuk says 400 people coming It's going to be a war 400 soldiers We didn't need 400 soldiers to, uh, For the red carpet To roll out the red carpet Esav comes to greet him He hugs him. A lot of hugging by Yaakov in this week's (laughs) Berashah. What does it mean by He kissed him. Now, you don't have a book in front of you. But in my book, he kissed him, there's dots on it. There's dots on it, and these dots have to mean something. Rashi she actually says that it's coming to say, "Vayishakehu" could mean like "Vayishakehu." Instead of he kissed him, he tried to bite him. Make up your mind: Did he try to kiss him, or did he try to bite him? So the midrash says initially he tried to bite him, but Yaakov's neck. Turned into marble, so the teeth of Esau fell out. Good for him. And now what? After he couldn't bite him, so he decided to kiss him. Ladies, according to the Bet this is tactics. These are two types of kisses. Both are considered the kiss of death. Once he tried to bite him to kill him physically, and when he couldn't kill him physically. Then he decided to kiss him. Kiss him, which means I'll kill him in a different way. Like they say in America, I'll kill him with kindness. Once I can become friendly with Yaakov and his family, then I can start teaching them my corrupt values. Then I can start teaching them my culture. And before you know it, they'll be assimilated, they'll forget Torah, they'll forget mitzvot, and we'll be one people. And don't... Don't think that that's an exaggeration because what does the pasuk say? That after they start meeting each other and they start introducing themselves, this is my wives, the pasuk actually says, pasuk actually says, Yaakov had all his family with him, his wives and his children. So Esav lifts his eyes. And what does he see? First thing he sees is the ladies. That's the first thing Esav sees that's very telling about Esav anyway the Pasuk says that Yaakov gave him some gifts Esav hesitantly accepts the gifts but then he takes them and then then Esav says what's really in his heart let's travel together Oh, this is what he was worried about. What do you mean, let's travel together? Since when does Isab ever want to travel with Yaakov? Because now he has a plan. If I can't kill him, try to bite his neck off, that didn't work. So he says, I'm going to go to plan two. And this is what Yaakov was worried about. at So it says, Let's go travel together. So what did Yaakov right away say? Makes an excuse. You know, little kids, they can't walk that fast. I don't want to slow you down. A lot of animals. If we're going to rush them to go at your pace, they all die. So he says, hey, why don't you go ahead? You, you know, ladies first. You, you go first. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll catch up. I'm going to go with my own pace. Wow, this these two pesukim over here sound like you know uh, social graces. No, oh, please join me. No, no, thank you. No, this was a this by the way might be that the Jewish people might have found themselves the biggest danger in these two pesukim. Esav over here is insisting no travel, and if Yaakov Abinu buckles and travels, there's no Jewish people. So what he uh, cordially and respectfully said no, thank you. What does Esav then say? I have another plan. You know what? If you can't, we can't travel together. Let me give you some security from my people, and they'll travel with you. Uh, Esav has a different plan now. At least he could plant in the camp of Yaakov some of his. Some of his people, some of his, some of his professors from the college. He'll put some of his, uh, you know, some of his educators, some of his, uh, you know, mentors, and they'll, they'll, they'll infiltrate. Some of his writers, some of his poets, some of his musicians. Put some of those guys in Yaakov's camp. And then what does Yaakov say? Why, 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 why? He refuses that also. No, thank you. Keep your professors in the colleges. Keep your music. Keep your books. Keep all that stuff. No, thank you. I don't want any free gifts. And then the Pasuk says, Esav went back to Seir. Thank God. And the Pasuk comes along and says, Esav went Esav goes his way, and Yaakov goes his way. And this, the Torah is telling us that Yaakov Abinu set up the future of Jewish history. That Jews always have to be concerned about both situations. We have to be concerned about Esav, the tyrant, and we have to be worried about Esav, the brother. Those two faces will always exist. I remind you, in the post-Holocaust era, which we're living in now which is America, which is clearly not Germany, in 1937. America, they smile at us, they give us freedom. And during this time of freedom of religion and freedom of speech and all the other freedoms that we've gotten used to, the assimilation rate in America is staggering and the statistics have said in the post Holocaust era over six million Jews have assimilated. So you could argue which Holocaust was worse, the physical Holocaust, and they go to Ulam they still have a soul, or the spiritual Holocaust of the brotherly Esav. Now there is no museum commemorating this silent Holocaust that I just talked about. Yes, they have the, the museums to remember the Holocaust of the physical, but for whatever reason, it is not well-known and not well-documented the silent Holocaust that takes place and is taking place, the only difference is the only difference is in the Holocaust the Jews walked into the gas chambers with a Nazi and a gun pressed to their back, but in this situation in America, the Jew walks in by himself he walks in willingly he doesn't need anybody to, to force him from behind. And I will tell you what Atam Sofer says immediately. So you see, ladies? It's very important you know that. There's two faces of Esav and they're both dangerous. So if you think because you're living in America that we're not in danger, I will argue this afternoon that we are in great danger. And this is another form of anti-Semitism. It's anti-Semitism where they're trying to kiss us to death. It's anti-Semitism with a smile and a bouquet of flowers. But the results are just as dire and just as serious, if not more. Now let's go back. Let's go back to the story of Yaakov and the angel. Well, Yaakov and the angel... Who's the angel? The angel is the Samech Mem, as I told you. He's the angel of Esav. So whatever Esav does, where does he learn it from? His angel. The angel is his, uh, is his guide. Every nation of the world has a Malach that guides them. We Except us. We belong to God. God guides us. But all the rest of the, the nations of the world are under the auspices of malakim, Salim they call so, my question was as follows. Did the angel use both tactics? Yes. Oh, you say, yeah, beautiful. I'd, I'd love to know how. Because all I see in my text is, Yaakov is alone. He wrestled them the whole night. He wrestled. He wrestled to kill him. All I see in the text over here is, he wrestled and then. As he's wrestling, he gives him a a, a blow to the thigh. I don't see any brotherly love over here by the angel of Esav. I see that the angel of Esav used one of the two tactics. But it can't be. Because if Esav uses both tactics, it must be in the root. And now I will prove it to you that he did use both tactics. remember I asked you, what does Vayavek mean? and You told me wrestle... To fight with dust and smoke all over the place. They're, they're hugging each other to kill each other. And then what happens? He saw that wrestling is not going to work. So what did he do? He stopped wrestling. Vayiga. What does mean? He touched. You know when you touch? When you want to make nice. When you want to make nice. He came along and said, Yago, I hurt you, I'm sorry. got. Let me make nice, let me... Can we kiss the boo-boo, like we used to tell our kids? got. Doesn't say, say Vayakeh. If he's trying to break his leg, shouldn't say Vayakeh, Vayach. Vayigah means he touched. At this point, I will argue today, Vayigah, he changed gears, the Malach. And guess what? When the angel was wrestling him and trying to kill him, Yaakov said, as long as they're trying to kill us, the Jews will survive. But once they start to make nice to us, Vayikah, now he felt the damage. Only Vayika. And it, it should be the opposite. It should be when they were wrestling, he was all hurt up. Vayika, he started to feel better. But the pasuk said the opposite. When they were wrestling, Yaakov feels nothing. Only When the angel saw that he can't kill him, then let me just touch him. Let me make nice. And the pasuk says, And all of a sudden, the Yerech became dislocated. What does the Yerech represent? The children. Because that's where the children come from, the Yerech. And therefore Yaakov said, wow, if they're going to make nice to us, our children are in danger. The children are going to fall for the culture and for the college and for all the things that they're going to put out there, the internet and all the different things that are in the literature, whatever it is out there today. Yaakov, that's what I'm worried, when they touch us, when they make nice to us. But Now watch what happens. The fight is over. So Yaakov I mean, wakes up the, that night. He names the place Pini'el. Face of God. Quite right, freely so. I saw an angel face to face. Listen to what he's saying. What does Vatinat Nafshi mean? Shouldn't it say, my body was saved? It says, my soul was saved. Nafshi. What I'm going to tell you now is as follows. He says, when I was fighting with him the night that we were wrestling, the only thing that was in danger was my physical body. When the guim are going to come after us like Esav and like the angel that's wrestling, it's not comfortable. But nafshi, the soul will be saved. S.O.S. Save our souls. nafshi. If they kill our bodies but the soul is intact. So Yaakov says, Pini It's the face of God. That means when they come after us physically, we still see the face of God. The face of God is in front of us. Pini However, ish, the sun came up. You know what that represents? When the sun of exile starts to shine on us, and now they're not treating us like an enemy. Now it's sun. Now it's bright. That's a different form. Now what is the name of the place? It <laughs> 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 means to turn away from God. When they're violently murdering Jews, the Jew turns to God and says, Yisrael He gives <laughs> his life. He dies on Kiddush Hashem. That's Pene'el. But by Israel do Hashemesh, when the Goy shines his light of freedom on us, and the Jew now is invited to, to attend and to be part of all of the events of society, they take down the signs, no dogs and Jews allowed. Then it says, the new name of the town is not Pene'el because the Jew doesn't see the face of God. It's Penuel. Penuel means to turn away from God. And then the Pasuk says, Now Yaakov feels the damage. He didn't feel it before because you don't feel the damage when it's only physical. But when it was a spiritual damage, now, now Yaakov walks away limping. Now I tell you what the Hatem Sofer said. Hatem Sofer said the famous mashal, the wager that the sun and the wind made. Ladies, it's a mashal. One time there was a fellow walking in the street, and he was wearing a fur coat, and the sun wagered with the wind. Who could get the fellow to remove his coat? So the wind said, Of course, I can. I'll blow it off him. The sun said, Okay, fine. I think I can do it, but you go first. So the wind came and started to violently blow. A strong gale wind. And what was happening is the more the wind blew, the tighter the fellow held on to the coat. It only caused him to hold on to the coat with a tighter grip. And then the sun said, now it's my chance. And he came out on a beautiful summer day. Not a cloud in the sky, no wind. Bright sun, 95 degrees. And the fellow took off the coat by himself. Said the Atam Sofer, when Esad comes against us like a wind and like a tornado, Cliasel holds on to God. They hold on to the coat more. They turn to Kadosh Baruch Hu'en Teshuvah. But by Yizrak Lo Hashemish, when the sun comes out, and now everything's kind, everything's fine, the Jew takes off the coat himself. What the wind, what the violent Esav was not able to accomplish, the brotherly Esav accomplished and how? Lo Hashemish. Then already it's not Piniil. It becomes now you feel the damage. And therefore, you know how we're supposed to remember this? Don't eat the Gida Nasher. Why? Because the Gida Nasher represents not the violent Isav, not the Vayaavek Esav. Not the Esav that was wrestling. But the Esav that was Vaiga. The Esav that was making nice. The nice Esav touches Kafierech Yaakov. Torah says, don't eat the Gida Because every time you eat a piece of meat and you have to take away the Gida, you'll be reminded Because the violent desab, you don't need to be reminded of. That we all know. But it's the other guy you need to remember. The Gid HaNasheh reminds you of that. And if anybody knows what the word HaNasheh means. What does HaNasheh mean? Simply means the vein that moved. Because when Yaakov Abinu got hit, it moved. But he didn't get hit, he got touched. There was one of the grandchildren of Yaakov that has a name similar to HaNasheh. Very good, good guess. Well, it's not Naftali, so it has to be Menasheh. What does Menasheh mean? Yosef called Menasheh, Menasheh, it says, because I was in Egypt, I was estranged from my family, and Baruch Hashem, you made me forget. You made me forget. Nashani Elohim, Nashani is to forget, in Arabic also, it means to forget. So Gida HaNasheh, means the Gid of forgetting. Because what causes us to forget God? The Gida that Vayigah, when we get touched. When they take their magic wand, the culture, and they touch us. And they come along and say, Abracadabra, join us. That magic touch of the culture and the society, that ultimately brings us to forgetting God. Gid and I don't have to prove my point. Just look at the kids, look at the society today and I rest my case. And now we get to the last question that we asked. The last question was Revolkanin's question. Why did he wait for Yaakov? Why didn't he go after Abraham and Yitzhak? Well, I have this serpent in front of me. I'd like to read it. V'hinei Amru azal. Yerushalmi, Hagiga, Perik Ader Falachad Zion, Vitera Kadosh Parukhu Al Avon Avodazara Giluya Giluy Arayot VeShvichud Damim. During the times of the destruction of the Temple, God forwent; He foregoed the three cardinal crimes: idolatry immorality and bloodshed, murder. Viter, viter means he's a mevater, he, he let it slide. Velo viter alavon bitul Torah. But there was another sin they were committing. They weren't learning like they were supposed to. It's called bitul Torah. They were wasting their time. Imar as the Pasuk says in Yirmiyah al et because they left my Torah. God says, I wouldn't be so upset if they left me, but Torati Shamaru, but they should study Torah. Now, this is very difficult. I understand, ladies, it's important to learn. But are you telling me that be told Torah is worse than murder? Bitul Torah is worse than immorality, is worse than Abu How could it be? How could it be that God says the three, uh, we'll deal with it, it's okay. But Bitul Torah, that's it. You, you drew a line. We can't, we can't close our eyes anymore. So Rabbi Khan wants to understand this Kemara. How could Bitul Torah be a bigger crime than the three federal crimes, the three cardinal crimes? you have a minute for his answer? No, I know that I was late. So he gives a mashal. He says, When you have two sides that are fighting, that are war- warring with each other. Afilu al even if one side wins one of the battles, we know that war is made up of many battles. And just because you lost the battle does not mean you lost the war. If I can trivialize it, in boxing, for example, I know it doesn't look like you ladies are big boxing fans, but in boxing, they have rounds. And even though if the boxer loses round one, does not mean that he loses the bout. He doesn't lose the match. So the same thing in war. You know, this city went to this side, does not mean that the war is over. He says, Because <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> you know, today, This side was victorious and tomorrow the other side could be victorious. That's the way war goes. (laughs) (laughs) Aval. (inaudible) Aval means however. (inaudible) If one of the sides is able to take all the ammunition away from his opponent, (inaudible) and now his opponent is left Without any defense. In that case, the war is over. The war can only be fought if the sides are still having weapons. But once there's no more weapons, that side automatically concedes and loses. Because one thing is for certain. You can't fight a war without a weapon. Now let's go to the real war that we came to talk about. The war that we have against the inclination, the evil inclination. That's a war. God testified. He's your enemy. Now I cannot put you in a war with an enemy unless I give you ammunition to fight him. And what's the only ammunition that can fight the Yitzhara? Torah study. God says that. Barati barati lo Torah And I created the antidote. Now, I don't like the word antidote because antidote sounds like you're in a doctor's office. This is not an antidote. This is a weapon. You're on a battlefield. There's a war taking place, and the Yitzhah has four hundred men with him, like Esav. And he, that means four hundred different ways to influence. And God says, "Don't worry, you could beat him as long as you have Torah." no other weapon. Aher lo yitzlah neged Torah. If you want to know what's going to save your children against the Yitzhak of American culture, there's only one solution: study of Torah. Everything else is synthetic. Everything else is fake. It's like going to a war with a water gun, with a with a with a with a, with a pea shooter. <speaking in Hebrew> now let what he says. Because Israel Torah. When the Jewish people are batel when they don't study Torah, Abdu akli They have no nothing with to fight, which means if they fulfill, commit a sin, committing a sin of gilui adayot even and even abu zara is losing a battle. So you lost, you fell. But as long as you still have Torah, you can win the war. But once you give up Torah, the war is lost. And that's what God said. I could forgive them for making sins. You made the sins fine, but as long as they still have the Torah, they can win the war. But once they gave up and they put their weapons down, God says, that is clear defeat. And therefore, God said, I wish they would leave me. Just study Torah, and the light of the Torah will bring them back. Let them just study Torah. I once went to the Mashiach across the street, Rabbi Erlanger may live and be well. I had asked them, there were some fellows, many years, 20, 30 years ago, that I was trying to influence them. And they started to come to one of my classes. I was teaching them Talmud. And then I overheard them that right after the Talmud class, they go and they play poker. So I felt very uh, uneasy with that. What am I teaching these? These are a bunch of gamblers. <laughs> but so much so that straight from the class, how much influence could I have on them? They're going straight from the class to go now, play cards, gamble money, steal money from each other. So I told the mashkiya, I'm uncomfortable. He says, Just let the Torah do its magic. Just teach them Torah. The light of the Torah will bring them back. And sure enough, many of those guys today are studying Kabbalah. Well, 30 years later. And they're not going to poker after Kabbalah either. Which means, let the Torah do its magic. Torah has a tremendous influence. But once already, you give up Torah, it's over. Says Rabbi Khanan. It will arouse them to make the Shuvah. Like it says, The light of Torah will bring them back to the straight and narrow path. And that's why, That's why the biggest Yetzirah is to stop people from learning. The Yetzirah doesn't have a problem if you do chesed. The Yetzirah doesn't have a problem if you pray. Do all the good deeds in the world. Just don't learn. He quotes from the Hafez Chaim. He says, Shamati From the holy mouth of the Hafez Chaim. And he writes it in Yiddish. He writes it in Yiddish when of a nit learning, he says the Yitzchad doesn't care. Let a person fast all day, let him pray all day. Just what? Don't learn. That's upper time. Yes, doesn't care. Do do all the bits for the world. Imagine fasting all day long and praying all day long. And the upper times says the Yitzchad is very happy. You can do it all day long. Just don't learn because he knows that's the weapon. Learning. So then he says, and this is his answer Avram represented Chesed. Chesed great, but it's not Torah. The Yetzarah says good. Chesed, if that's how you're going to build a nation, just on Chesed, it's easy. Even the conservative and the reform do Chesed. The Yitzhak aya Avodah, praise. It's Avodah. Guess what? There's reformed temples and conservative temples. It can't hold the Jewish people just praying all day long. So the Yzarad Satan had no problem with Avraham in Yitzhak. The Yaakov Torah. Yaakov represents Torah, He learned for 77 uninterrupted years. And that, the Satan said, he's the trouble over here because he's got the weapon. If he delivers the Torah to his children, it's over. And that fight goes on for the generations that the Yetzirah fights the Benet he tries to break the yeshiva, he tries to break the learning because he knows that that's where the secret of Klayasil existence is. Well, Rabbi Khanan says, good news, he wasn't able to get Yaakov. Which is a sign to us, the Torah will always exist. But he got him in the leg. Rabbi Khanan says, what does it mean he got him in the leg? So he offers two interpretations. One interpretation is, the legs are the supporters of Torah. And he was able to put a poison in the support system of Torah. He said, if I can't get the guys to stop learning, but at least I'll take away their funding. And that's why he says, Rabbi Khanan, you could collect for anything, but the hardest thing to collect for is for Torah. We have members, we tell them we're collecting for making a wedding for a poor widow or poor orphan, which is a great thing, of course. Yes, Rabbi, you have it. We're collecting for Kolel. I don't give to Kolel. I, don't call I only give to hospitals, only give, which is very nice. But for whatever reason, Torah, we have the hardest time to collect because people don't understand. But the guy's reading Aramaic all day long. not have to pay let them. Let them go to work. Let them get a job. What am I paying for? If somebody has that attitude, we have a uh, in the Shuli. Every night they learn Torah at midnight. Kolel Hatzot. They learn from midnight to the morning. I go sometimes to collect money say, Well, we don't give to this. I tell them the tell them the I said, you're still limping from the, from the fight of, of Esav. He got you. The angel got you. It's a shame. He didn't get me. I'm learning. He got you. You're the supporter. You're limping still. Go put, a, go, put a, go put a bandage on your leg. And then he comes along and says, the last thing what the legs represent, the Satan said, I might not be able to get Yaakov, but I'll go after his children. And that's where Volchanan Zalashon Ovei says, The kids, that come out of the loins of the person. The Satan goes to the parents of the kids. What are you sending your kids to yeshiva for? They can go to public school. It's free. Although you get what you pay for, but it's still free. What do you got to pay all that tuition for? Make you broke. And the yeshivas are not teaching them anything anyway. And all of a sudden, there's a seduction of the Yetzirah to the parents to send their kids not to the yeshivas. And that's happening as well today. And you know where it's happening? That even the parents that send them to the yeshivas, when they graduate, they send them to college. You know what Rav Chanan's opinion about the colleges are? And he wasn't talking about today's colleges. Today's colleges, I think we could all agree, are filled with corruption and the, the worst values and ideals. The loneliness of the country begins on the campus of the college. It begins in the academia. And then it trickles down to the street. You know what Rabbi Elchanan said, and I'll leave you with this. The Gemara says, we have an obligation to teach our children a trade. You must teach your children a trade to make panasa. It's an obligation. It's one of the five obligations that a father has to his son. You must teach him a trade. That's where college enters. You know what the other obligation is? You must circumcise your son. Circumcise and teach him a trade. There's no Gemara anywhere that says that teaching a trade is more important than circumcision. Correct? For sure, we agree with that. It's not more important. And we have a law that says if God forbid somebody had a child and he died as a result of the circumcision, we don't circumcise the next child. And therefore he said if somebody died spiritually by going to a college to learn a trade, then we don't do it to the next child. It's not going to be better than Brit Milah. Just like we forego Brit Milah where it, was, uh, it led to death, we have to forego even that if it leads to spiritual death. That was Rabbi Elchanan's language. Today, Baruch Hashem, we have options Today there's kosher ways to teach our children how to make trade. There's kosher ways to teach them how to make Parnassah. But just to go blindly and think that that's an option, that is already a result of the Satan's, the Satan's blow to Yaakov. And therefore I say, is Parashat Vayishlach relevant? <laughs> For all those that think that ah, oh, it's a storybook of what happened yesterday. Absolutely not. The Torah is tomorrow's newspaper. The Havdil, of course. And the lesson is very clear. Beware of the two faces of Isav. The more damage is not when he's v'yavik. The bigger damage is when he's v'yigah. That's when the gidan Nasheh feels the pain. Not at night when they're treating us like a violent man, but when the sun shines in the morning. Then the Jew takes off his coat on his own, like the Hatem Sofer said. And this is true up until today. And the only solution is Torah, the study of Torah. To the credit of you great ladies, you're not even obligated to study Torah on the same level as the men. And nonetheless, you make it here to the Shi'ur on a weekly basis. And you, we must continue the study and we must perpetuate it to our children. The pasuk said, The voice is the voice of Yaakov, and the hands are the hands of Esav. So the rabbis say, it really means when the voice of Yaakov resonates, the hands of Esav are paralyzed. But it doesn't say that in the pasuk. It says, Which sounds like that when the voice of Yaakov is resonating, that's when the hands of Esav are manifest. And I want to explain it because when the Chesed of Abraham was around, Enayadaim and when the Avodah of Yitzhak was around, Enayadaim But once a Kol Kol Yaakov, now Enayadaim Now Esav came to fight because he knows that's a weapon, and that's the only weapon that can neutralize him. We should be to recommit ourselves to the study of Torah. And as a result of that, Borei Olam will rebuild the third bit HaMikdash. Amen.